This is part three of the Baptized in the Holy Spirit series. Two weeks ago, Daniel Williams preached on the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Last week in Nathan's excellent message, we saw many examples starting in the Old Testament of people being clothed with, anointed with, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Nathan showed us from the scriptures that it was God's intent all along simply to pour out his Holy Spirit on his people even more as time went on. After Christ came into the world and became a man, lived a sinless life, and was crucified for our sins, and went up into heaven to reign over all creation, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was just what he had been promising through the prophets for a long time that the gift of being clothed with the Holy Spirit was not just for special Christians, like kings and judges and big-time prophets. It was going to be for all Christians. Today, we're going to begin to look at the difference between receiving Jesus Christ, which always means the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, which in the Bible is a distinct, and separate experience from getting born again. But at the end of this message, I am going to tell you why I was at first closed-minded to studying what the Bible says about how Christians got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you what happened after God changed my mind and I experienced this for myself. This sermon serves as an introduction to, if you have a bulletin, um, the Baptized in the Holy Spirit series, Chapter 3, Bible Study, which you will kindly find in your bulletin. Please raise your hand if you do not have one of these in your hands. We have four people here. You'll get one in just a moment. Keep your hand up just a second longer. Somebody's bringing you one. I want to whet your appetite. My hope is that you will go to your discipleship small group leader and tell them you are already a Christian and you don't think you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit like the, promise, like the prophets promised and you are ready to do a Bible study to find out more about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're not a member of a discipleship small group yet, you could talk to Deanna or Greg or Leah or any discipleship small group leader. Any of these would be glad to meet with you, to search the scriptures, to see whether these things are so. Before we begin talking about whether we might be missing something that the Bible says about our experience with the Holy Spirit, we are going to have to examine our hearts. What do people most think of when they think of evangelical Christians? Some good, some bad, right? One of those things is that we tend to be rigid, but not necessarily about important biblical issues. Another would be that when we disagree about something, we tend to not be gracious with each other. This is very concerning, and mainly because it shows that we tend to be more about our traditions and less about working together to glorify Christ like John, like Josiah and Stephen have been preaching about in the evangelism series. 
We were made for service. We were made to glorify God. We ought not think more highly of ourselves than is reasonable. We ought never to get past being willing to examine what the scriptures say, especially when we have a heart for God, kinda, but we have little power. Revelation 3.8, Jesus says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's us. Besides humbling ourselves and wanting more of God, not having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the number one thing holding us back from more effective witnessing. We need more power. The baptism in the Holy Spirit was a real thing for Christians, usually baby Christians, in the book of Acts. But somewhere along the line, we stopped believing in it, and we stopped thinking that it's supposed to go along with salvation, water baptism, deliverance and healing, and entering a New Testament community lifestyle. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is for Christians to be empowered to follow him and witness of him so that others will follow. Please pull out your outlines now and let's look at them. We can skip right to Roman numeral two. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, five biblical patterns. So if you look at Roman numeral two on the first side, I don't think that's up on the board yet. In fact, you could go back to the, you could go back to the title slide for a second. We're gonna, you'll need this the whole time. Uh, under Roman numeral two, there are numbers one, two, three, four, five. We're going to be looking for numbers one, two, three, four, and five after we switch the slide in a passage in the book of Acts. So. Are you being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a distinct and separate experience from receiving Jesus Christ in the Bible. Remember in the Gospels, Jesus' disciples were already truly his disciples. So they were truly saved. They didn't get saved after Jesus uh, poured out the Holy Spirit on them. They were already clearly believers, right? They were already, uh, they were already God's people. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had already entered them and made them alive to God or they would never have followed him. They would have fallen away like Judas and some false disciples, right? So here we have Christians who, as the book of Acts opens, are about to be baptized in the Holy Spirit as they wait in that upper room even though they already have the Holy Spirit. What? This is Bible, guys. Yeah. Let's rethink this together. It's a distinct and separate experience from receiving Jesus Christ. The disciples, the apostles, had already gone out on a mission trip and cast demons out of people and healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed lepers. They were doing evangelism, but very powerful evangelism. And then, they hadn't yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What? 
They were Christians. They were, they were sent out. They were apostles, right? So, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is something they received later. And they began to speak in other tongues as an outward evidence of what had just happened inside them, number two. It was the speaking in tongues was the outward initial evidence of an inner reality that transpired in Acts chapter two, which we are about to read. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Bible normally happened shortly after conversion. From a few moments to a few days. And it normally happened in this atmosphere where everybody's level of faith was heightened. There was this, this atmosphere of, of expectation. The Lord is doing something great. And the Lord is here among us. And in that atmosphere, the gospel was preached. People were saved. And they, spoke, they began speaking in other tongues. Which in the Bible is both other languages and mysterious tongues. Right? Because we see both. Mysterious tongues that nobody understood. Each occurrence was accompanied either by anointed persons laying hands on the recipient. You can imagine an evangelist, a pastor, a good friend who loves the Lord, putting her or his hand on your shoulder and praying with you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what the pattern we see in the book of Acts. Or it happened in an atmosphere of prayer and or proclamation where faith was rising due to the Holy Spirit's manifest presence. In, uh, when I was a little younger, I grew up in a church and we never talked about the Holy Spirit's manifest presence. What does manifest mean? If you've ever worked on a ship, it's not, or an aircraft, it's not, it's not the list of passengers. Manifest means, um, manifest means uh, it is visible, clear, shown. Manifest means that which is there is now clearly there to those present, right? So the manifest presence of God would be like what I think all of us have experienced when in private prayer or under the proclamation of the gospel, we, we felt our hearts strangely warmed and we knew that God was drawing us and, and we, could, we were aware of the supernatural presence of God. We could feel God. Feeling God, in, simply put, is the, the manifestation or, or the, the obviousness that God is here among us. So God is everywhere. But sometimes, sometimes that's not obvious, and to some people that's not obvious. So what about when... Christ couldn't do many mighty works in Capernaum and you know, his hometown because of their lack of faith. And he did some mighty works, but it wasn't very obvious to people. They saw it, but it wasn't clear enough to them that, he, that God was doing something, which is strange. Their eyes, were, their eyes were covered. Their eyes were blinded to perceive that God was among them doing mighty works. And we as Christians... Uh, want to be asking God to open our eyes and to show his presence and to lead us into a deeper experience of him because there is much he wants to do among us and we need more power to witness. Number five. Is everybody looking at the outline? Additional biblical manifestations 
and experiences and results and fruits followed. Although speaking in tongues was the initial outward evidence accepted by the apostles, other clearly biblical fruits of the Holy Spirit always followed. These included testing. Is that a trick? Jesus is our example and our pattern in all things. He who was fully unified with the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit being perfectly one from all eternity, he, mysteriously, was, I'm going to say, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven like a dove and rested upon him. What? How can Jesus have the Holy Spirit come upon him? This is Bible. Did you ever think of it that way? So Jesus was not in need, but he was prepared for a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit, even though he and the Spirit and the Father were one, okay? So the first thing the Holy Spirit did after after coming down to rest and remain on him was lead him into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed and was tempted by the devil. Tempted by who? The devil. Tempted by God? Tempted by the devil. God does not tempt us. God does test us. Every time, often, when the the Lord shows you something or powerfully works in your life, the next thing he'll do is let his word be tested to see if you will partner with the Holy Spirit and bear the fruit he has called you to bear. And I am one who has made the mistake of not doing that, and I can tell you about that in another sermon. Testing, brokenness. The Holy Spirit is the one who causes repentance and brokenness and contriteness and humility. And every one of us who are Christians have hopefully deeply and often experienced that. That is a fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence, brokenness. Repeated fillings. If you go through this Bible study one-on-one with maybe your discipleship small group leader, you will see if you re-examine the book of Acts that the apostles who in the Gospels were Christians, they were saved, So they had the Holy Spirit living in them because you can't be a Christian unless the Spirit of God breathes life, spiritual life into you and makes you alive to God and wakes you up from the dead and opens your eyes to perceive God, right? So that had already happened. Then in the Gospels, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts, which we're about to read, he's like, hold up, you're not ready for ministry. I thought they'd already been out on a mission trip. They had, good. He said, but wait in Jerusalem until you have received power from on high, right? And that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But wait, there's more. And this is Bible, so it's okay if it contradicts your theology or mine. It's just Bible. (laughs) Then, if you follow through the book of Acts, you'll find that time and time again, after Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, in that upper room where the rushing wind and the divided tongues of fire, and they spoke in other tongues, and everybody heard them declaring the mighty deeds of God. After that, 
being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were, it says later, more than one place. Those same people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Go like this with your shoulders. What? <laughs> That's Bible. So the Holy, I was not taught this, but this is what Acts says. And I am arguing that this is a pattern for us too. And that for those who have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Lord would like to baptize you in the Holy Spirit to anoint you with more power for witnessing. This is for Christians, not for non-Christians, right? And if you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, there are some steps we need to take to stay filled and to be filled and filled and refilled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And there are some things we're doing that are quenching the Spirit. Okay. The baptism in the Holy Spirit was accompanied by boldness for witnessing. Duh, right? It's the Spirit of Christ. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus. And for proclamation and for attesting miracles. Because when the Lord, some say that when the Lord touches the mountains, they smoke. So whenever God draws near to us, the earth trembles. Things shake and quake and smoke, and the fire of the Lord, spiritually and literally, burns, but it does not consume, yet it transforms. Right? So, of course, there are miracles, and we want more of that. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied in the Bible by increased zeal and passion for God. If you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, am I starting to pique your interest? Do you want more zeal and passion for God? Do you want more of what the Bible calls anointing? Raise your hand if you uh, grew up in a charismatic, Pentecostal uh, uh, church. Any, any one of these denominations. One, two, three, four, four, five, thanks. Uh, I was not. I went to a school attached to uh, an Assembly of God church, and they had like these big meetings. And lots of people came, and, and I just thought, well, it must be some kind of I don't know, psychological phenomenon. I mean, I knew they were Christians because I knew, I knew them, but I just thought they were kind of far out and they believed in some stuff that was just real weird. And I thought, well, I guess I shouldn't say the devil is doing it. I guess I should say they just don't know what they're doing and they're just deceived, I guess. But I, well, I'll tell you the story. I'll tell you more about why I didn't want to study the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I first attended GCF later. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied by fruit and gifts, the manifest presence of God, and by personal and corporate holiness. Amen. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is for empowering you to follow God and witness to him so that others will follow. Before you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you do not contribute much to the corporate anointing for example, in the worship service. After getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, you contribute more to the corporate anointing. Before getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are not very competent for spiritual warfare because you don't have enough tools. After getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are more competent because you have more tools. And there will be testing, guaranteed but the Lord will be with you. Okay, 
Let's look on the board um, at slide number one. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Here's the backdrop. Acts chapter 1, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? The promise of the Father. What's that? Is that the gospel? I already had that. The promise of the Father, which he said, quote, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So the promise of the Father Jesus had previously told them about was being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it was about to happen. So when they had come together, they, uh, we'll skip that. Um, verse 14, uh, all these, the disciples, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they were waiting in Jerusalem. Now let's look at Luke 24. You don't have to flip there. I'm just going to read it. Luke 24, uh, verses 44 through 53. Then he said to them, this is to the apostles, his disciples, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this promise of the Father, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is going, to, is going to be a clothing with power from on high so that they can do the work of the ministry and follow him through difficult times. We all have difficult times. We are all called to do the same work of the ministry. We all need this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Now, if you have your outline, um, we're going to go through Acts chapter 2 um, and be watching for Roman numeral 2, points 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. We're going to be finding these things that I said are part of the five biblical patterns of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look at number one, it's a distinct and separate experience from receiving Jesus Christ. We're going to try to find these as we read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Who? Were they Christians? Shake your head vigorously. Yes. 
This is a distinct and separate experience from the new birth. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. That's point one and point two. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in the common Greek language that pretty much all of them knew. No? Each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So, like, how many languages did they know? They knew the local language of Galilee. They probably knew Greek, you know, a little bit more maybe, right? Did they know all these languages? No. They didn't know all these languages. These are locals. These are hometown boys. They did not know all of the languages from all of the countries we're about to list. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. That means they'll drink a bunch of cheap wine. So that will happen as your witness guaranteed. Don't worry, you will be tested. So how long had, had it been? Look at number three on your outline. It normally followed shortly after conversion, moments to a few days. How long had it been since they were saved? I heard a whisper, a couple of years. I heard a murmur. What did you say? A couple of weeks. How long had the disciples been saved? I see that hand. A couple of years, right? They've been walking with Jesus for a few years. At some point, they got saved, right? So this had happened. Uh, they had been walking with the Lord, um, uh, and, and they had been born again for some time, and now they were the first to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, right? Um, it happened in a spiritual impartation atmosphere. Um, chapter 1, verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they had waited in Jerusalem as Jesus had commanded them and they were all completely focused on praying and waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for the promise of the Father, for being clothed with power from on high. And immediately, they began to proclaim the mighty deeds of God. Peter recognized it and told them that this is what the prophets foretold. Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet, Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So had the apostles prophesied? Yes, they'd been proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. And God loosened their tongue and empowered them to speak under the anointing of the Holy Spirit in languages they did not know. And everybody heard them babbling like drunk men. Some did. Others clearly heard them proclaiming the mighty deeds of God in their own language. Fascinating. The Lord is beautiful and wonderful in all his ways. Verse 19, the prophet Joel said, And I will show wonders in the heavens and above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. We've talked before how the sun and moon rule the day and the night. The sun and the moon are signs through the Bible, symbols of rulers and authorities. And we are about to see the rulers and authorities of Jerusalem shaken. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise the Lord. Let's skip to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So look at point number five in your outline. Additional biblical manifestations, experiences, results, and fruits followed. Look at subpoint B. Boldness for witnessing and proclamation and attesting miracles. The Holy Spirit miraculously convicted the hearts of all these people present who had been gathered together in Jerusalem not many weeks before and crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And now they were cut to the quick. The Holy Spirit had anointed the disciples, with, he had clothed them with power for witnessing, which is what we need more of, and why, if we haven't received it, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and if we aren't being filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit, we need to seek a greater and repeated filling of him, right? And they were cut to the heart and said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, that means generations away, which I was taught to believe meant up to one or two generations. I was taught that this baptism in the Holy Spirit was a very special, very special thing that happened in the book of Acts because the Lord was crucified, the Lord rose from the dead. I wasn't really taught much about the, Bapti- the Holy Spirit being poured out, but I, I mean, I'd read Acts, right? And so have you. And, and then I guess I just kind of figured all that stopped. And now here we are in regular modern Christianity. Not so. The promise is for you and your children and all who are a little ways off. No, no. And all who are far off. 
up until the year 100, maybe 200 AD. No, all, the promise is for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's for you. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. That's in water, right? And they were added that day, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Good meeting. Good worship meeting. Point number five um, behind me, um, if we could get the slide that includes example number one, point five, that's E5, one more, I think. Oops, back to example number one, please. Perfect, point five, okay. Accusations, chapter two, verse 13. But others, mocking, said, you guys are drunk. Like, like your, your winos. This is like a derogatory way to call somebody drunk. You're saying you, you can't afford to buy like a $20 bottle of wine. You can afford to buy two buck chuck, right? You can afford to buy like Mad Dog or whatever, you know. Like, they're, they're, we, all, we all have experienced or have had friends who maybe had a reputation of getting drunk on the cheapest liquor, right? I mean, this is very much a part of American culture, right? And uh, that's what they were saying is happening here. You guys bought the cheap stuff, and you drank too much. You drank too much last night, you drank too much this morning, right? But I can affirm to you that the apostles were not living a lifestyle of drunkenness, but they were drunk on the Holy Spirit, and that is what we need. Accusations led to Peter's proclamation. Okay, I said the goal of this message was to whet your appetite, to talk to your discipleship small group leader, and go through the Baptized in the Holy Spirit series, and we don't have time to go through example number two, or three, or four, or five. There are five times in the book of Acts where in your outline, we can, you can see in five different passages in the book of Acts that the baptism in the, the people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Christians, that it was a distinct and separate experience from the new birth or, or being born again. In each of those five examples, we can see that speaking in tongues is the outward initial evidence of an initial reality, that the Holy Spirit did something special for them. He clothed them with extra power, even though he already lived in them. Praise the Lord. And that it normally followed shortly after conversion, moments to a few days and that it happened in a spiritual impartation atmosphere where everybody's level of faith was raised, and that additional biblical manifestations, experiences, and results and fruits followed, including testing, brokenness, boldness for witnessing and proclamation, and attesting miracles, increased zeal and passion for God and anointing, the manifest presence of God, fruits, gifts, personal and corporate holiness, sacrifices, so, a personal story. When I, uh, my wife and I uh, prayed about what church we wanted to start attending when we got married. And I attended one uh, here in Dayton, a good church, lovely people. And I attended one in Cedarville, good church, lovely people. And I'd been coming to the Friday night fellowships here. And the worship was really good. I liked it a lot, actually. In fact, one time I raised my hands in worship. And then I thought, I'm being too emotional. And I sat down. 
and I stopped worshiping, I was like, I don't want to be deceived by my emotions. I was taught that, that you know, it goes like uh, fact, faith, feelings, and it's like a train. The facts of the gospel come first, the facts of the Bible come first, my faith follows that, and my feelings follow, hopefully, but sometimes it, I'm not gonna follow my feelings, I'm gonna let the facts lead me, and I, my faith will be in the facts of the gospel. That's a good teaching. God is the God of the whole person, of the whole planet, of all of creation. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. I was filled with joy, and I was like, ah, I'm being deceived by my feelings. I should have been a little bit more biblical and recognized the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit instead of having something inside me being against the Holy Spirit in a very real sense, even though I was quite saved. Hmm. So that was one of my first uh, tastes of the manifest presence of God attending here. Lee and I prayed, we decided, uh, it became clear to us that the Lord was leading us to join this fellowship. And so we made that transition, and uh, Greg started uh, reaching out to us, Greg and Catherine, and they invited us over to their home. They invited us to be discipled one-on-one, and that was really cool, because, well, quite frankly, uh, you know, not many people are willing to disciple you one-on-one. And I found that to be a wonderfully biblical thing to come into. And I thought, everybody needs this, everybody should have this, but then again, I kind of didn't want it. And here's, now I will give you the outward evidence of the inward reality of I didn't want it. Um, <laughs> Greg will tell you it took was it two years for you to convince me to meet with you and do a Bible study on the Holy Spirit? I'm sorry. But that is the state of our culture. Unfortunately, that is the kind of, of thing that evangelical Christians are known for. I, um, and I was you know, very much wrapped up in that thing where I got this, God brought me here to be discipled, but not to be taught a whole lot of new things about the Bible just to learn more about what I already know, like the gospel and loving God and loving others and stuff. But I wasn't will I wasn't noble-minded like the Bereans. I was close-minded like the Thessalonians. I, I was close-minded to searching the scriptures to see if these things were so. And I would encourage you to not follow my example in that. It will waste your time. And we need power, and we need you to become part of the solution and not, well, like, you know, we tend to be, like, low power and, and high, more about ourselves and less about seeking the Lord for more. Because the whole earth has to and will be covered and filled with the glory of the Lord. The scriptures say both uh, the, the whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord, and it says the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And you are the ambassadors to bring that in. So the turning point for me was, um, Lee and I said, okay, I guess, you know, the pastor's bugging us. I think we use the word harassing. We're like, all right, I, fine pastor at a Bible church. We'll study the Bible with you, whatever. Okay. So we, so we did Baptized in the Holy Spirit, chapter one. We did baptize in the Holy Spirit, chapter two. And all of it was good, because that was what uh, Daniel taught two weeks ago and what Nathan taught last week. And all of us, even the people who, were bo- who grew up in traditionally evangelical Christianity, I think probably didn't have any objections to that. Um, then I got to, because it was all about the Holy Spirit and it was just Bible verses. And I was like, yes, 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 I agree with that, I agree with that. Okay, cool, all right, because I knew everything. And then chapter three, and I was like, mm, not so much. You guys are like charismatic, not me. 
Like that's not, that's not how I was raised. Guys, we have to get out of the spirit of that's not how I was raised and get into the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit lead us into deep waters and let him hold us up and keep us from sinking. Sometimes that's gonna mean re-examining the biblical examples and patterns. Sometimes it's gonna mean uh, brokenness and testing. Sometimes it's gonna mean uh, witnessing when I can't do cold call evangelism. And sometimes um, it's gonna mean some changes in our theology. So, we got down through this part of the outline. We did example two. We did example, uh, which was uh, Philip proclaiming Christ to the Samaritans, which is wonderful, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We got through example three, Paul's calling. We got through example four, Cornelius and the Gentiles. Cornelius, if you're watching, I'm sorry we didn't get to that point today. Um, and we got to example five, and all of this time I did not believe that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was something other than a crazy thing that Pentecostals did, okay? When I got to example five, and I saw that on your outline, Roman numeral two, points one, two, three, four, and five, all were visible in the passage we went through today in Acts two, they were all visible in example two in Philip and the Samaritans. They were all there in example three. They were all there in example four. I still didn't, I was still not on board. When we got to example five, Paul at Ephesus, the Lord changed my heart and I said, I think I've been wrong. We're just doing a Bible study and this is in the Bible and it's clearly there. And I couldn't deny it any longer even though that's not how I was raised. And so I, I agreed to getting prayed for to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I was still suspicious, but I was biblically persuaded. So we met, uh, we came up to the front of the church and uh, Greg and a few others who had been uh, discipling and mentoring me were there and, and they had me sit down. They said, you don't need to do anything. We're just gonna pray for you. And I was like, okay, I hope it's not weird. I hope it's not like some demonic weird cult thing. This is what was in my heart, a little. I mean, I also wanted like more of the Lord because I was persuaded, I just, I just, my emotions weren't on board. I, I guess my belief, was, my faith wasn't either, right? So, um, so there I sat and the first thing they asked me to do was, I thought it was gonna be weird again. And they said, all right, just repeat after me and I'm real suspicious. And it's like, all right, you know, Lord Jesus, I, you know, and it was a gospel prayer. And every phrase that I repeated after the person leading me was like just straight up gospel. And I was like, okay. All right, that was very normal, that was very biblical, that was normal Christianity, nothing weird yet. And then they just, we just worshiped for a while, and I was like, oh, this was really good worship. In fact, it was great worship. And they're like, all right, we're gonna, gonna uh, pray for you, a few of us are gonna pray for you, and somebody came and put his hands on my shoulders and just prayed for me, it was all super normal, no weirdness. And then, uh, and then something welled up inside of me, and I just started speaking in something like, uh, murmuring or muttering or babbling. And, I was, and that really like poked my pride sharply. I was like, that's like, I'm very humbled and wimpy right now. But that was the first thing that the Holy Spirit wanted to, needed to adjust in my thinking, uh, to take me down a few notches. And that was, that was real good. And that made a lot more room in me for the Lord to be great because I was getting smaller. And then we continued with the worship meeting and we all sang in English and we sang in tongues and it just sounded you know, like a lot of la-las and uh, syllables that uh, weren't connected with 
language stored in my brain. And, uh, but it was clearly, the whole time, we were clearly in the presence of God, and I knew it, and we were clearly worshiping him. And when we were done, I had to have the greatest worship meeting of my entire life. And here's how, after all that, I knew I wasn't deceived by some weird uh, Pentecostal Assembly of God, charismatic, psychological delusion phenomena. Here's how. It was in the, the old building, but I'll show you where I stood in the old building. You know, they had pews and stuff. So, so I was sitting here, and I was worshiping, and I had my hands up really high. I think I was actually standing on my tiptoes so I could get higher. And it was like, it was like I, could, I could almost see the Lord Jesus, and he was right there. And he was, he was like right above us, about at ceiling height, at a really low ceiling. So he was like so near. And, and as I raised my hands and worshiped, I knew there's nothing weird, there's nothing unchristian or unbiblical going on here. I love Jesus, and I think I love him more now. And I think I've become less. And as we worshiped over that next half hour, hour, and beyond, uh, some people came and they prophesied over me. I thought it was gonna be weird, like, you know, you will buy a car, and then you'll <laughs> marry this girl. I was already married, so I didn't say that. <laughs> Praise God, Leah, Leah left, didn't him. You know, you know, the things people, you know, if you, if you grow up non-charismatic, or what I call anti-charismatic, um, you, you grow up thinking that prophecy is something like unbiblical. But Peter's prophecy was proclaiming the mighty works of God, and that is normal prophecy. And it's usually, in my experience, more scripture than anything else. It usually happens in worship meetings. Praise the Lord. I have never in my life experienced anything in my senses or in my spirit that was better than what I experienced on that one joyous day. So far. It was just sweet and it was just good. And all I could see was Jesus and I could see him so clearly in my mind's eye it was almost like a vision with my eyes open. Like I could, I could perceive the risen Lord right there, right over our heads, and I was worshiping. And after that day, I stopped doubting that the baptism in the Holy Spirit was a weird psychological phenomenon. And I hope that you will be open-minded enough to do a Bible study with one of the discipleship small group leaders, maybe Greg, maybe Deanna, maybe Leah, maybe whoever, and examine whether these things are so. It is for today. And the pattern of the Bible in the book, beginning in the books of, book of Acts on the day of Pentecost is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't it prophesied? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If you have, are you a little dry have you been quenching the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit? Do you need to be refreshed? Let's pray. Lord, I'm so sorry this is the me generation, and we need you to humble us and break us, and we need you to teach us and open our minds to understand the scriptures, and if you don't do it, who will, Lord? So Lord, we pray that you would fill us and fill us and refill us, that you would clothe us with power from on high, like the prophets did foretold 
foretell. And Lord, we pray that we would become the you generation and that you would undo so much about our millennial culture and, and me-ism and, and self-centeredism and that we would become Christians and Christ-centered and all about you. And we know that this has to be supernaturally done and we can't do it by trying and we can't do it by mustering up enough faith. So we pray, Lord, that you would give us faith. And we pray that you would change our generation and that as you have done through the centuries many times, that you would continue this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that now is only about half of the Christian world is charismatic and half of the world is not. Half of the Christian world is not. We pray that charismatic Christianity would become the norm because we are becoming more biblical. Amen.